I'd like for you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We'll read 16 through 18. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me in order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished, that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will deliver me from every evil deed and will bring me safely to His heavenly kingdom. To Him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we all uh, like to know that we have something in common with uh, famous people. I got pretty excited when I found out that Billy Graham wears the same brand of socks that I wear. That was, that was pretty thrilling. I, it, it occurred to me not long ago that the Apostle Paul and I have something very much in common. We both spent time in prison. Now before you run out of here and, and say the preacher's been in a slammer, I, I'm not talking about prison made with stone. We all know that there are other prisons than the stone walls and iron bars. In fact, Tennyson said, stone walls do not a prison make, nor iron bars a cage. We all have known those stone, those prison walls that not made with stone and those emotional bars that confine us where we've been deprived of our freedom and we've been hindered in um, our action and movement and we've been robbed of all that we want to do and would like to do, kept from doing that. I'm talking about those prison cells that you know about. Some of you it might be an illness, de debilitating illness that keeps you from enjoying what you'd like to enjoy in life. Loneliness is a prison cell. Some of you may have fallen into the black hole of depression. It seems to you like the sun will never shine again in that dark place. Perhaps somebody has hurt you that has caused you to be bitter and you just live within this prison of, of bitterness and anger and unhappiness and pain. We all have known those experiences. The Apostle Paul is writing from a pit and, and this is a very real prison for him and and he's writing from here, but you and I can write from our own prison cells that we, we know about. Now I know there are a lot of people that like to say that when you become a Christian, everything is rosy and you have no more problems and Christians are always happy. We got to smile to prove it. So we put on this smile every day and start out in life. I've even had people suggest to me that if you're spiritual enough, you'll never be unhappy. Well, I haven't made it yet. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I haven't arrived at that place yet. I've been in some of these cell blocks that you know about. Now you'd think that the Apostle Paul deserved better than this from the Lord. You know, he's given his life to Christ. Now he's going to die in some prison cell. I heard some skeptic say one time, he said, I know why 
God doesn't have any more friends than he has because of the way he treats the ones he's got. You know, some of us can feel like, I don't deserve to be treated like this. I deserve better treatment than this. Surely if there ever was a man who deserved to be you know, treat, have special favor from God. It was this, the greatest apostle who has ever lived. And he's in prison, and he'll probably, and he will die there. Now, I didn't come this morning to talk about why bad things happen to good folks, and I certainly didn't come here to try to defend God. He doesn't need somebody to stand up and defend him. What I came to do this morning is to see if we can learn something from the pit. So we can get a different view from the cells we live in. A lady's husband was uh, transferred to some God-forsaken place. Must have been Del Rio. <laughs> some God-forsaken place. She didn't want to move there, but she went with her husband. She was very unhappy. She was from the city, from beauty, beautiful city. And she wanted her husband to quit his job and then move back and get another job. He wouldn't do it. And finally she gave him an ultimatum. He, she said, either you quit and leave or I'm leaving alone. During the interim, while he was making up his mind, <laughs> she wrote her father and told, her of his, told him of her decision. He wrote back these few sentences. Two men were in prison. One looked out and saw the stars. The other looked out and saw the bars. I want to look out the prison cells this morning where you find yourself, see what we can see. First, from the pit it becomes obvious that your friends sometimes are very fickle and their loyalty is often fleeting. So the Apostle Paul said, I, uh, uh, I stood alone, nobody stood with me. In verse 10, he's talking about Demas, whomever he is. He said, Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And in a previous epistle, he said, I was totally abandoned at my first defense. Now, I take this first defense as the pre preliminary trial he had before Caesar's court. They brought these Roman citizens up for a preliminary hearing. And, and, and at that time, you always had somebody to stand with you and speak for you. And at his preliminary hearing, nobody showed up. Now, I take this to be a reference to people of influence and people of power. I mean, Luke was there. We found that out later. He wasn't totally abandoned, but I think Paul is referring to people of influence. He wrote the Philippians and said that the gospel had already extended to the Praetorian Guard, had already made it to Caesar's palace, so we know that he had some friends in high places. Seemed like that day they had business elsewhere. Seemed like they had something else to do that day, for after all, it wasn't very safe to be a friend of a man who was on trial for his life in Caesar's court. But this is a very sad thing. I mean, this is the mouthpiece, mouthpiece of the gospel. This is a... You'd think that if anybody had somebody to stand, when he left Ephesus, they nearly squeezed his head off, crying, you know, in Rome and not to go to Jerusalem. They were afraid for his life. Where are they now? You don't have as many friends as you thought you had. We need each other. 
I don't think I'll ever get to the place spiritually, to the place where you don't need other folks, where you don't need the human touch. I said, you bet your boots. I mean, I don't, I don't live beyond the need for the human touch. I think the second thing we need to say right quickly is that it's a sin to verse uh, six, uh, 16. He said, I hope it's not counted against them. An accounting term. It's a picture of a person with a book, a ledger, and he's adding... And the implication is, is that when a Christian abandons another Christian, any man is among you is overtaken in a fault, criticize him. He said, if anyone is overtaken in a fault, restore such a one in the spirit. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, lest you find your dry socket. Holy cow. You don't know what said we treat dry sockets now. Back in the stone ages when I got my socket, I said, don't worry, whatever it is I want, I did. That's the worst. The dentist in my church, and he'd, between Sunday school and church, he'd, we'd go down to his office and he'd pull a wisdom to, uh, by the way, a dry sockets when you, well, I won't get into that, but it hurt in my jaw, but my hands wouldn't do anything. That sucker would hurt, and my hands said, do something about your jaw. I'm here to tell you we need each other. And when one hurt, one fails, we all hurt. And it's a sin to abandon each other. Third thing, it's a sin to get bitter when somebody does it to you. I love the, the spirit of the apostle. He said, may it not be charged to their account. I love that. It sounds like Jesus. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's so easy to get bitter. And he had a daughter who was 10 years old, came down with leukemia and died of it. leukemia after a long and awful, painful, terrible illness. And John Claypool preached sermons as this illness of his daughter progressed at different stages. He preached a different sermon. Those sermons now are in a book called Tracks of a Fellow Struggler. I recommend them. John Claypool was a brilliant, brilliant scholar. And when this little girl of his that he loved very much, of course, when she came out of remission the last time was on Easter Sunday. And the pain of that uh, coming out of remission of that day must have been horrendous. And John Claypool on Easter Sunday uh, was... Uh, preached a sermon and he used that, that sermon, he changed his Easter sermon and he preached his sermon they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, they shall mount on wings as eagles, run and not be weary and walk and not faint and he said our, our, what we expect from God is this ecstasy like mounting on wings of eagles and when things get rough God's just going to take us up on the eagle's wings and and he said, I didn't, I didn't find that to be true. And he said, I, I expected, we, we expected that we're going to have action from God, run and not be weary. But it didn't happen for me, he said. He said, what I did feel was I felt the bottom. He said, I hit rock bottom. And he said, I was faced with two temptations. I wanted to curse God and I wanted to quit. I wanted to say to God, stop this world, I want to get off. He said, I thought about putting a gun and blowing my head off. He said, I was at that place. He said, God didn't get me up on wings of eagles, and I wasn't running and not weird and, 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 and swift as a, as, a, as a deer. He said, what I was feeling was this horrible despair. 
And he said, people ask me, didn't your Christian faith make a difference? He said, yes, it made a difference. And this was the difference. When I got to the bottom, I did neither. I didn't curse God, and I didn't quit. And he said, the difference in my, and the crucial difference in my faith was that when I hit the bottom, I found enough strength from God to hold on. Hold on. Now the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, He delivered me out of the mouth of the lion. He's referring to the Roman emperor. He was called the lion. And he's talking about that first defense. But he says in the next verse, And he will deliver me from every evil act, every evil deed. But he didn't. And if you were to ask the Apostle Paul, Paul, are you about to die? You know, you came to him while he was writing this. You're going to die? He said, yeah, I am. Are they going to take you out of here soon and cut your head off like the Romans executed folks? He said, more than likely. Sir Walter Raleigh used to say that beheading is sharp medicine, but it's a sure cure for a headache. <laughs> and that's sharp medicine. They're going to take you out and execute you? And he said, yeah, they're going to cut my head off. And you say, well, Paul, you just said, I saw you write it down, that he will deliver you from every evil act. The Apostle Paul says, well, if he doesn't deliver me from execution, it must not be evil. Are you hearing me? If God doesn't deliver you from that illness, it must not be evil. Stop cursing it. If God doesn't deliver you from that problem, it must not be evil. For He will withhold no good thing from you. You can trust Him. So that if this thing you're going through is like the pit, you need to understand that God is faithful and that experience is not going to hurt you. God is faithful. Friends are fickle. Number three. The pit itself can be right fruitful. Now God never, never wastes time or experiences. Can you remember that? God never wastes time, nor does He waste experiences. And with God there is nothing incidental or accidental. Now let me read again verse 17. But the Lord stood with me, and strengthened me. Now, the thing that stands out for, from that is this, that he didn't say the Lord is going to get me out of this jail cell, out of this pit. He said the Lord strengthened me in the pit. Why? In order that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. Now, does that seem a bit strange to you? This is yes, and this is no. It seems a bit strange to me. You'd think that he'd deliver us from the pit so that he could proclaim the gospel to all the Gentiles. That's not what he said. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful to God that he strengthened me so that the, in the pit itself the gospel might go to the Gentiles. And what he's saying is, is that my pit experience is the experience that will fulfill the purpose of God for my life. I love it. Now what was Paul's 
the purpose of God for Paul's life. It was to be a ministry, a minister to the Gentiles. That's why he changed his name from Saul to Paul. Saul was the Hebrew rending, rendering of the word of the name. Paul was the Gentile rendering, rendering of the name. And so he changed his name because this man was going to be a minister to the Gentiles. Now he's saying that God brought me through this pit because the pit is going to fill full my purposeful life, that ministry to the Gentiles. I want you to get this. If you have committed your life to Jesus Christ, you have a right to assume that everything that happens to you is part of the fulfillment of God's will for your life. I want to say it again, that's profound. From these stammering lips, this is profound. If you have committed your life to Christ, you have a right to assume that everything that happens to you is a part of the fulfillment of God's plan for you and your life. I've never found it to be true that God puts us on a detour like some of you are having to do now. We've got all this work done on the city. It takes me one minute to go home, longer to go home now. I don't like it. 30 seconds longer. So, you know, I was kidding old Paul Bunce about it this morning. I think I'll be hearing from Paul. I mean, up here there's these detours and you go all around, wind around, you know. I've never found it to be true that God puts us on a side track and says, I didn't know that was going to happen to you, man. That's, that surprises me. Well, I'll tell you what you do. You get off over here on this detour a while and after we get you back on the main course, things will be better. That's not the way He works. Everything that happens to you, you can believe that God, it's a part of the filling full God's purpose for your life. I found out in the pit some things about depression that have greatly enhanced my ministry that they didn't teach me over there at Southwestern. One last thought, please. In the pit, you learn to praise the Lord. And this is what he says in verse 18, To him be the glory forever and forever. Now you'd think that that would be the end of the, of the book, end of the, end of the letter, but it isn't. I mean, it says amen, that's what we do after we're through, we say amen, we leave, right? It, you'd think that this is the end of the letter, but it isn't. I mean, he just, it, he just got so caught up while he was thinking about the strengthening of God and the fact that God was going to use the pit to fulfill his ministry, he just broke out in a doxology right in the middle of the letter. In the pit, you learn to praise God. Here it is. Write it down. If you can walk through this life without a doxology in your heart, you have an inadequate understanding of your God. Say it again. If you can walk through this life without a doxology in your heart, you don't know God as you ought to know Him. J.I. Packer said it like this. 
the highest science, the loftiest speculation, the highest philosophy that can ever capture the attention of a child of God is the name and the nature and the person and the work and the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. Let me say it again. The highest science, the loftiest speculation, the mightiest philosophy that can ever gain the attention of a child of God is the name and the nature and the person and the work and the doings and the existence of the great God whom he calls his Father. And when a person captures that, what God is, it doesn't matter what the pet is like, when that happens, he praises God because what God is to him. And he said like this. He said, I'm just going to praise God because he's going to bring me safely to his kingdom. I heard a young man tell about the death of his father. He says, I stood over the casket of my father. He said, I, I had this urge to say to him, Dad, you've won, you've won, you've won. And he said, I just had an overwhelming urge to reach into the casket and get his arm out and hold it up like they do those boxers when they've delivered the winning blow. But he said, since I know I couldn't, I said, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In the pit, you discover that you've won. What a place to discover that we've won. Let's pray together. Our Father, we pray now for a, an attitude of obedience that would enable us to respond positively to your invitation. For I pray in Jesus' name.